March comes in like a lion and out like a lamb. But I say it comes in with madness. I'm Brian Dinavellis, and the madness has begun, everyone. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. We already have one team from the Tri-State in the NCAA tournament, and that, of course, is Fairleigh Dickinson. The Knights are in the automatic bid out of the Northeast Conference on the strength of its semifinal, yes, semifinal victory over St. Francis of Pennsylvania. Hope you caught that game on SNY the other night. They will officially play Merrimack in the NEC final tonight. But even if Merrimack wins and cuts down the nets, they'll head to the NIT. FDU will head to the NCAA tournament. If you have not been following it, it's because Merrimack is a former D2 program. They're in their fourth year of transitioning to D1 and by NCAA rule they're still ineligible for the NCAA tournament they can go next year but not this year strange I get it but that's the rule how strange will that scene be if Merrimack beats FDU tonight cuts down the nets on their home court but meanwhile FDU will be the team representing the Northeast Conference in the NCAA tournament we're going to talk about the Knights and the Scarlet Knights because Rutgers is reeling. They are reeling at the wrong time. Can Steve Peichel find the switch and turn this team on in the Big Ten tournament? A tall task against Michigan. They, I mean, they got an awful draw, right? If Rutgers had beaten Northwestern, they would have been facing Northwestern again on Thursday. And I know that they just played Northwestern. I know Northwestern finished second, but I, I just don't like this matchup. We're going to talk to Jerry Carino and Jay Hoops Haven in just a bit. We're going to talk Seton Hall. Can Shaheen Holloway once again lead his team on a magical march through the conference tournament into the NCAA tournament? They are a long shot, all right? Seton Hall would have to win four games in four days, but maybe if they can win against DePaul and win against Xavier and have a matchup against Creighton or Villanova in the semifinals of the Big East tournament on Friday night, hmm, don't think for a second that the NCAA tournament committee won't notice that. All right, but there's a man out there and somebody who's been covering New Jersey hoops for years. He has more mileage on his car than you and I combined because he goes up and down that turnpike on a daily basis throughout the week. Here to talk about FDU, Rutgers, and Seton Hall is the aforementioned, the dean of college basketball writers, the elder statesman in New Jersey, Jerry Carino. Jerry, great to talk to you, my friend, once again. How you doing? Elder statesman, I got to tell you, <laughs> I sometimes I feel like it's just yesterday I started doing this 20 years ago, but in March, man, it's a it's it's a tougher than it used to be. It's a long slog, but you know what, Dino? You and I love it, and this is our time of year, so give me the coffee and let's go. Let's go, Jerry. Nobody puts more miles on their car up and down the turnpike than <laughs> you. So, all right, I got a bumper falling off, literally. Literally I, I, I have a bumper taped on. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So you were at FDU the other night. Uh, obviously, just a, a bizarre scene that I talked about in my intro. But let's start with with that scene and and watching the students storm the court and knowing what Fairleigh Dickinson and Tobin Anderson had accomplished. Jerry, what was it like being there? It was the epitome of March. I mean, that's what this is. This sport is all about. Uh, you know, you you saw students coming in like literally throughout the first half, like word was spreading on the campus. Hey, FDU is winning. Hey, they, something special could happen tonight. And then by like halftime, the place was packed and it was rocking. And the students stood the entire game. And when that buzzer sounded, man, it was just the joy of them rushing the court, the players running to them. It was like a snapshot of, you know, what March Madness is. And for FDU, this is a huge deal, man. This is their moment to go four and twenty-two last year, to really start over, uh, to have a coach come up from the D two ranks, and people were like, "Who is that?" When they hired him, to come in and to you know to to punch the automatic bid and to make the NCAA tournament was special. It was special, and Dino. Not only did they win the game, they won it with authority and they won it with style. Like they're clearly you know the best eligible team in this conference. The backcourt which uh, Tobin Anderson brought with him from St. Thomas Aquinas in D2. These two guys, Grant Singleton and uh, Dimitri Roberts, they're really good, man. I mean, they they shoot the ball. They handle the ball on a string. They, they don't have to pass it. They just know how to play. And I, it really it really strikes you that there's not that much of a difference between D2 and the lower levels of D1. Like, these, the guys are smaller. You know, there's no, like, super big guys in D2, I guess. But the guard play is just as good as you as you can see. So it was great. Uh, tell you a funny little story. So Tobin Anderson, who is the nicest guy and obviously a, a terrific, extraordinary coach, uh, comes into the press conference and he's soaked in sweat. Now, I didn't witness any sort of Gatorade bath. I think he was just so hyped up. He was soaked in sweat. And so he sits in his chair, does his press conference, right? Then he gets up. And like he's he's embracing everybody, and then he he leaves, and then everyone's like, oh, kind of like, oh, you know, like he's soaked in sweat. And then the the coach from uh, St. Francis comes in and sits in the chair, and he's like, oh, and he goes, I'm sending Tobin a dry cleaning bill. <laughs> so this is what it's all about, right? This this is what it's how meaningful it is to everybody, and it was a good little a funny little ending. But now FDU they're going dancing, but. You know, they have a game to play, too, a Northeast Conference final. It was a weird situation. But you know what? That doesn't diminish what is one of the best stories in college basketball in the metropolitan area. Jerry, in the entire country, Jerry, find me a team in the country that goes from 4-22. and 22. I looked up their net last year. All right, there's 358 Division I teams, 3-5-8. FDU was 349 yeah, in the net ranking. How about find that? Me a team that was that low that won their conference. You won't find it. It's it's well, unless someone, you know, some Cinderella story sparks us this weekend. Well, that's uh, the whole thing, right? Do you know, so like this is only in college basketball thing. There is no in a in major American sports. There is no analogous situation. Like there is no three hundredth team, you know, in the NFL or in <laughs> you know, in in even in college football. I mean, it's the haves and the have nots. It's a, there's a hundred something high major teams and it's really only like 10 or 12 that have a chance of doing anything. And you just don't notice what goes on at the lower rungs, but in basketball, everybody gets their moment and you're only a coach or a couple players away from being relevant and being in the mix again. 
And so that's what this was. And it, it as we've seen at Seton Hall this year, and we'll get to, into them, but as we've mm-hmm. seen, it's not a given, it's not easy to, to have a new staff and transfers and make it all click. That is an, that is not as easy as maybe the people outside think. Remember, there used to be a sit-out year for transfers where you can acclimate yourself, and that's now it doesn't exist anymore. So to, for, for, for Tobin and FDU to make it all work with the transfers, with the holdover, with the new staff, with the new system, it's just a remarkable achievement. And like you, when you saw the people celebrating the court at FDU on a Saturday night in March, it was like, this is what it's all about. It is. And and they are they are most certainly headed for a 16 seed and a first four in Dayton with a chance to win a game there. And and what joy that would bring to that program and those fans. So, Jerry, I want to talk about Seton Hall next. You kind of led me in that direction. We're going to get to Rutgers after that. Listen, we know what Shaheen Holloway has done at St. Peter's. We know what he did as a player at Seton Hall. Um, I'm not going to say this is his finest coaching job, but you alluded to it right there. Uh, he didn't have the most talented roster in the world, but I think it's safe to say that he is squeezing the most out of this roster that is now, uh, as we saw against Providence, limited to eight scholarship players. Right. No one. So no one could foresee what happened with Alexis yet in his knee. Right. He goes, he finishes the season at Seton Hall, a good year last year. He goes off to France to seek his professional fortunes. Something happens with his knee. He can't play. He comes back. And, you know, Shaheen Holloway had been convincing him to try to get him back. So, right. So, because they needed him. And he says, okay, I'll come back. And then he comes back. And then at some point, it, the realization is dawned on everyone that his knee's in bad shape. So, he doesn't come back till like mid May. And by then, the roster is pretty much set. So, that's he was counted on as a big roster piece. He's unable to go. Then we thought, you know, everyone thought he'd be back in January because he was on a pace. And then he he has a setback during rehab. So, like, you take that piece out of the mix. Seton Hall is playing really shorthanded in the front court in a league with the Big East with some really good big guys. Big disadvantage. So it's not quite the roster that I thought, I think, Shaheen Holloway envisioned coming in. When you take that, when you combine that with the fact that he had to weave in holdovers, he had to bring in his four transfers, a couple of freshmen, and then he also had other injuries, right? Dre Davis missed, missed like, six weeks all told with two different injuries. Katari Richmond's now hurt with a bad back. So a lot of curveballs for them to finish where they did. I think it was a pretty solid job by Shaheen. But the biggest thing is, Dino, you saw, you have seen Shaheen Holloway sort of set the culture and set the bar. And you know what his vision is, like what his, what their style is, what, what Seton Hall is going to be. They're going to be a team that defends and plays super hard. Now, the playing smart part, being consistent part, like that, and obviously some of the offensive issues, that hasn't quite come yet. You've seen it in spurts. But what you've seen is the the culture and the foundation's been laid. And realistically, like in year one of a coaching change, you know, unless you're like the Dukes of the world and you're inheriting a loaded roster, this is probably the best you're going to expect. And then, you know, see what Shaheen can do going forward. But yes, a solid foundation laid in year one, that would be my assessment of what Shaheen Holloway's done at his alma mater. So that game against Providence, it's like everything came together for Seton Hall. And was it the perfect storm? They played the perfect game with the players they had. Shots went down, right? How many times do we say, oh, you know, the shots weren't falling for Seton Hall. The shots weren't falling for Rutgers. 
They were making shots, making threes. Dre Davis, nobody could have predicted him hitting four for four from three. So, Jerry, is that a one-game situation in your mind where everything clicked? Or is it? could it be a sign of things to come in the tournament where they're trying to capture one shining moment and get to the NCAA? So certainly it was like a perfect game for Seton Hall, right? And how much did Providence contribute to that by, you know, sort of have no showing, which I don't know why they would do because they kind of needed the game. But yeah, uh, how much was it was just the ball going in a basket? Like shooting cures a lot of ills. Yeah, that's the old thing. Good shooting cures a lot of ills. But what I'll say is, so you know, all the, they played a pretty good offensive game against Villanova, scoring 72 points uh, the game before. So that offense was already getting better. Uh, with Femi Odakali at the controls. This is not a dismissal of Kadari Richmond, who we all know is very talented and has had huge moments for Seton Hall. But Odakali was kind of, it was kind of a rough fit for him playing off the ball. And I think Shaheen Holloway's vision was them for sort of be the co-playmakers. But it didn't really work that way with Kadari being so ball dominant. So now Odakali comes in after one adjustment game, you know, the clunker against Xavier, Odakali now has the reins of the offense and he looks so comfortable and the offense looks so comfortable with him. And so this is an X factor going into the Big East mm. tournament. It wasn't just, it wasn't just one game. It was, you know, they played great against Providence. They also had a really good half against Villanova. So they've played like three quarters of the, of the halves, you know, of the last two games, they've played really well offensively. And so I think it does bode well for an offense turning the corner and maybe like an X factor in Femi at the point guard. We'll see. You do wonder, like if you're down to seven or eight guys, can you sustain that over several games back to back to back? But I do have a feeling that it was not totally a one-off and that the, you will see an offense running better now, especially with Dre Davis back and shooting the lights out like 70%. Oh my God. He came back from the injury. So Jerry, I, I, I will say this. I've been saying it all year. He is the glue guy. Listen, you, you can't afford to lose players like Kadari Richmond. You can't afford to lose a player like Tyrese Samuel. We've seen, we've seen what happens when he goes to the bench in foul trouble for long spurts and the, the teams just abuse the Pirates inside. But right. I'm telling you, put, put Dre Davis in this lineup against Villanova, at Villanova. They're winning that game in my mind. Right. It probably cost them a game or two. Maybe Creighton too, definitely Villanova, probably. You can't say definitely, but likely at Villanova. It probably cost him a game or two his injury. They're a better team with him. He does things that the other guys don't do as well. You know, he's he shoots the ball uh really well and he's he's versatile, right? So he, he can come in and play different positions, guard different guys. So yeah, and he's a good IQ player too. So yeah. high IQ, coach's son, right? So yes, he's a big addition. So I do I do. Th there's some case to be made that the Pirates are peaking late here, even shorthanded, and could be could really be a thorn in somebody's side this week at the Garden. It's still a tall order, Jerry, to 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 try to win four games in four days, especially with a team that is so limited offensively as Seton Hall is. But you had your uh, Big East tournament preview out for those people out there who who love to follow Jerry on app.com. Your Big East tournament preview, chock full of. Uh, little nuggets. Let me let me just point out a couple of these here before we get into your prediction, Jerry. A uh, couple that I really loved. The best seat in the house is is right behind the DePaul bench because you can bring twenty of your closest friends. <laughs> uh, worst seat in the house, anywhere near UConn fans, Jerry. I could back you. 
<laughs> you, you know that better than oh anybody. God, I can back you up on that. I mean, listen, they've already won the NCAA tournament and, and the Big <laughs> East tournament. So, right. I mean, I mean, they feel like Madison Square Garden is their home home court and and not the XL Center. But, you know, it's it's really worth a read in case you want to see some of these things. And and Jerry, I think you had some fun with this. And here's the one that I that I might have lacked the most. A little little jab by Jerry. The saddest people in Madison Square Garden this week will be the Syracuse fans who still show up out of nostalgia. They do. They do. I know two guys who are Syracuse grads who go and you know, we we have a dinner of the before. There's some a crew that has a dinner before the semifinals every year, and the Syracuse guys are they are they're kind of sad. I mean, go to Greensboro, man. Oh, please, no, no this not is not even a comparison. The, the Garden is sold out every single game, and you look at the ACC tournament on TV. There's empty seats everywhere. Please, there's there's yeah. no comparison. And they know so, that, and they these Syracuse fans in their heart of hearts know it. So yes, yes, they 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 long for this and. And that's why UConn got back in here. Right. They, they they got a lifeline, Jerry. And and I know, you know, Val Hackerman and the Big East are loving it. But trust me, all right, Ed Cooley, Kevin Willard alluded to it. Yeah. These guys, these guys knew what was coming. Yeah. And and so does the media. And I guess that's why you picked UConn. There is Vegas has picked UConn yeah. to win this tournament. Um, you know, what what do you like about them? Uh, and then we'll get your your prediction on Seton Hall. So the UConn's really hot right now. Uh, that's one. So and and they're good. You know, obviously they're very good. They play good defense. They have good balance. But the thing is, it's just the specter of UConn fans taking that building over, and we jab at them and whatnot. But they are really, really good fans in terms of you know backing their team and showing up and making noise. And like Marquette is okay, superb, and I think probably on paper the best team that you know they certainly passed the eye test, but. UConn fans are going to dwarf Marquette fans. You know, they're going to dwarf most other fans. So like when you, it's going to, it's going to be like a home game for UConn in there. And that, that makes a big difference. So with UConn having the pieces they have with the momentum they have with the fan support, they're going to have, it all adds up to picking them. I I just, to me, it's an obvious pick. That's not a disrespect to anybody else. So, uh, but yeah, the upper half of the bracket is going to have some wars because Providence is desperate. They'll have fans there. Uh, Marquette's really good. So I think the lower half of the bracket is where you might see some chaos because you have Villanova and Seton Hall seated sixth and seventh coming in with a little momentum and they'll have their fans there where those other teams from the Midwest might not. So do you like Seton Hall, you know, winning a game or two here, Jerry? I I think, look, let's just put them a win against the DePaul team that is fading, you know, barring an an egg by Seton Hall that puts them in a game against Xavier where there's, there's a going to have, we're going to see the pirates with a little chip on their shoulders. Yeah, they will. Last game. Xavier breached some protocol at the end of that game. When you're winning a game by 27, you shouldn't have your starters in jacking up threes. Sule boom. If a walk-on takes a three, you no problem. We all get it. Give the walk-ons their moment. Um, but with your starters in and still trying to score, Come on. I mean, I understand. We all know the net favors margin of victory, but like with the last minute or 30 seconds, come on, show some class, obey the etiquette. And I would tell you, like, you'll never hear this come out of Shaheen Holloway's mouth or Seton Hall's players. Probably it will be discussed if, and when that matchup takes place, it'll be discussed in that Seton Hall locker room. And look, Xavier's got a lot of talent. Okay. 
And Sean Miller is a good coach. They should be favored to win that game against Seed Hall if it comes to fruition as we expect. But they're going to get throat punched on the way. There is no way Seton Hall is not going to go into that game and with sharp elbows and put the throttle down, you know, to to the floor. So it's a really interesting matchup when you incorporate the recent backstory between the teams. Last question on Seton Hall, Jerry. Can they get to the NCAA tournament without winning the Big East tournament? I didn't think so, but, you know, the guy, a power higher than me, and that's Brad Wachtel, our Jersey bracketologist and one of the best bracketologists in the country. I agree. He's one of the highest rated. They, you know, they rank these things. He's like a top five out of 80. Uh, Jerry Palm's like in the bottom 10 of CBS. <laughs> I, and, uh, I don't listen. No, I don't pay any attention uh, to Jerry Palm. You're good. Good move. So uh, Brad thinks they could get in the conversation if they make the final. Now, the path to the final does matter. Like, you know, beating Xavier and beating Creighton will hold a lot more weight than beating Xavier and beating Villanova because Creighton is a, is a quad one and a heavyweight. So he, Brad thinks that if they get to the final, if they secure those two heavyweight quad one victories on the way, because the bubble's so soft, they could find themselves in the discussion come Saturday. And so I have to defer to him on that and say it is possible, whereas I didn't think it was. It is possible. A lot of work to be done between then and now, but, yeah, there is, there's a chance, I guess. And Pirate fans, you know, about a week ago, the season was over. They had lost five of six. And then suddenly one game, one game maybe serves as a springboard. We shall see. At least there's some excitement. At least it gives the Pirate fans hope that maybe they can catch some lightning in a bottle here in Madison Square Garden. All right. Speaking of lightning in a bottle, right now Rutgers, you know, Jerry, the only thing we saw, there was no lightning in a bottle, but there was smoke coming out of the speakers uh, at Jersey Mike's Arena and that was about the only thing on fire in that building the other night when Rutgers was really turning in another awful offensive performance at home against Northwestern and suffered. I, I didn't even realize this until after I looked at the stats, Jerry. They've lost three consecutive home games by double digits. Yeah. I, I never would have thought that. Right. So Rutgers, it's, it's shocking when you think about it. The home court advantage they have. I think Rutgers is, is running low on gas. You know, uh, it's. Since Mawat Mag got hurt a month ago, the starters' minutes have gone through the roof. And that's tough at the end of a long season. They were not very deep to begin with. You know, they were basically playing with seven guys. There were some role players filling in here and there, but seven guys were, were lugging all the weight. And now you're down to six. And it seems like those starters are wearing down a little bit. Like, you can see the three-pointers hitting the front rim you see the defense, which has been Rutgers' calling card, dropping off down the stretch in games. They've been really good defending for a half, then less so in the second half, then less so in the last 10 minutes. That's fatigue, and it's it's physical fatigue. It's also mental fatigue. Uh, you see the free throws missing. This is a really good free throw shooting team all year. They missed 10 free throws, uh, 11 for 21, and they lost to uh, Northwestern in the finale turnovers, you know, unforced errors, things that Rutgers wasn't doing. So I think the team is worn down, uh, especially being shorthanded. And I don't know how you reverse that. My only suggestion was take the one guy who still has some pop in his legs, that that's freshman Derek Simpson out of Lenape High School, and give him an enlarged role. Like give him starters minutes. doesn't have to start, but give him starters minutes 
put the ball in his hands more and see if he can sort of change the dynamic, you know, and breathe some life into the offense. But Rutgers looks worn down and it looks like, you know, if they don't beat Michigan, they're headed to the NIT and it's too bad because they really had things going, but it's a long season. That's why I just, I don't believe in predictive metrics, you know, like people tell me uh, Ken Palm or whatever says Rutgers is favored in this many games or Seton Hall is going to Seton Hall's favorite in this. I don't believe in that. Like you can't, you don't know the twists and turns the season's going to take. You know, these are these are human beings. They're students playing games, not widgets. You know, they're not grizzled NBA veterans. There's a lot of variables. And so Rutgers has worn down. Can they reverse it just enough to win a game and get back into the, the NCAA picture? Maybe, but it's going to take, I think, you know, a big change and maybe a lot of help from their freshman who just certainly has some some ability here in Derek Simpson. I agree with you 100%. And and listen, it's tough to take those minutes away from a warrior like Paul Mulcahy, a guy who's meant so much to this program, who's started so many games, who's a veteran, uh, who Steve Peichel has leaned on a lot. But, Jerry, there's something wrong here. I don't know if it's a lingering shoulder injury that he's Might been be. having all season. Jerry, his numbers are down across the board all season from last year. And I don't necessarily think like Derek has to take all of Paul's minutes or to completely eclipse Paul's role. You know, those minutes could come from different players too, like Andre Hyatt. Uh, you know, you maybe give some other guys a breather. Obviously he's not going to take Cliff's minutes in the middle, but those minutes could come from different people. But I just feel like it would help. It would help Paul help Rutgers. If Steve would take a little bit of alleviate, a little bit of responsibility from him and let Derek handle the ball more, maybe let Paul play off the ball or let Derek defend the opposing point guard if they're going to play on the court together. So I just feel like Paul's struggling. He's probably hurt still with his shoulder. Uh, he's in a slump. You know, give him a little break. Like, stop asking him to carry the offense and let Derek do a little more of the work. Paul doesn't have to ride the bench. Just take a little bit of the weight off his shoulders. And I feel like that's that's something that Steve, who's very loyal to his veterans, and rightly so, they've they've gone to war for him and they've they've built this program from the ashes. That's an adjustment, the one adjustment I think Steve can make to maybe change the dynamic going into the Big Ten tournament. All right. After the game, Jerry, you and I were in that press conference and it, it was kind of uh, the same answer, only spieled in, in many different ways, spitting out in different ways. And here's what Steve Peichel had to say. Here's what Caleb McConnell had to say after the game about the struggling offense and the losing streak, this losing stretch that Rutgers has been going through over the last three weeks. You know, it didn't go in. You know, we're not a great scoring team to begin with, and they're really good defensively. Um, you know, but I th still think we could have won this game if we just kind of grinded a few possessions when we had some momentum just to finish off some plays, and, and we, you know, just didn't do enough. You know, again, obviously didn't do enough, you know, to beat Northwestern. When the offense is playing like this, Steve, are you considering making any changes or what do you try to do to jumpstart it in the yeah, I mean, tournament? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, we've had games where we really scored. The other day we scored and our defense wasn't good, you know. So, um, you know, we got to have both at this time of the year. we got to play good defense and, and good offense playing really good teams. I mean, as you guys can see, this league is, is a monster. Everybody's good. Everything comes down to a basket or a free throw. Um, you know, we just got to play, you know, we just got to play better. And these guys are very capable of that. Obviously, we're struggling, you know, uh, offensively. Um, we definitely have, you know, we're, we're definitely capable of uh, 
you know, playing better offensively, and that's something that, you know, we all have to figure out. Um, coaches have to figure it out. The players have to figure it out as well. Um, I feel like it just has to be collective. You know, I don't, I don't know what's, what's going on, you know, offensively. But, you know, we can play all the defense in the world, but if we can't put the ball in the, in the basket, then, you know, that, that's a problem. I think over the last few, few games, we can't, you know, we're struggling to even score 50 points. And, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're missing 10 free throws, 12, 10, 12 free throws a game. And, um, you know, that's just hard to keep up. You know, we, we keep missing free throws and we have to keep playing defense. And then, you know, that's just not getting uh, nobody in rhythm. So, you know, I feel like that's, that's just a major problem right now. Uh, like I said, we can play all the defense we want to, but if we can't figure out how to put the ball in the rim, then that's just, you know, of course we're missing Mawat, but it's not like Mawat was just lighting it up when he was here either. So, you know, uh, we're still the top four. I think I, I think we're the top top five defense in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, that's I, I don't think our defense is a problem. We're holding teams under under 60, 58 points, which is which is which is awesome. You know, which is which is really unheard of to hold. You know the uh, the last couple of teams we played. You know under under 50, you know 50, 60, 60 points. So. Um, it's just it's just tough right now. You know, I, I don't I don't really know what's going on uh, offensively. So we're just trying to figure it out. So, Jerry, is Rutgers capable of suddenly finding their offensive rhythm and and hitting shots here, uh, as you alluded to, you know, when when they have some fatigue in them? It's one interesting thing, you know, a stat that I dug up that maybe will give you hope that they could. Cam Spencer is shooting 48 percent from the field on the road this year and in Big mm-hmm. Ten games. And he's shooting like 34% at home. That's a really weird number, right? I mean, no, maybe you see that's a big discrepancy. Opposite. It's weird. Yeah. You might see a guy the opposite who's much better at home with the familiar rims and the fan support. But for someone to be sh- – and he's the guy, their main shooter, the key scorer. So the, he, he shot the ball well away. So maybe that's the thing too. I don't know if he feels the pressure you know, at the rack or what, but who knows – just doesn't like shooting there. Who knows? But so he shot the ball well on the road. So like if he's if he's scoring the ball, uh, if he's shooting well, hitting threes in, in Chicago, that could open up things for other guys. So that's another reason to believe maybe Rutgers can put some points on the board here. Somebody has to, Jerry, at some point. And, and you know, we've seen teams uh, go through their big men. Right. And and we've seen Purdue go through Zach Eady. We've seen uh Michigan go through Hunter Dickinson. It's not like this Rutgers offense goes through Cliff Amori. They get him some touches, but it's not like it goes through him. So, you know, they're, they're in a dogfight with uh, Michigan. Both teams have to have this game just to be in consideration. Uh, you know, how do you see this matchup against Michigan, a team that, that just buried Rutgers on their home court uh, just a couple of weeks ago? And they did it without Jed Howard, Juwan Howard's son, who's probably their best guard, right? And he's mm-hmm. going to be back. So, yeah, it's not a good matchup. You know, Michigan's got these these cat quick guards. Uh, they have an elite big man in Hunter Dickinson, who's got a lot of swagger, and they're going to have a, <laughs> they're going to have a lot of people. They're going to have a lot of fans in that in Chicago. Uh, I don't. I think the matchup's really bad. Actually, uh, they're also desperate as is Rutgers. So, because they're on the bubble, even worse shape than Rutgers. So, I don't think it's a great matchup. I think Rutgers needs to pull a rabbit out of her head here. But when you, you know, the X factor of Derek Simpson and maybe Cam Spencer shoots well away from home as he's been doing, uh, you know, and it's it's college basketball, right? And that's right. the unpredictable. So, I, I think Rutgers certainly has a chance. I don't think they're, I don't think it's a long shot that could win the game, but they deserve to be an underdog. 
I, I agree. And and let's face it, you know, the, these two programs have a little bad blood, a little history between them. Oh, as well. there's the some bad blood all right. last year. Juwan Howard has a chip on his shoulder. Right. So so there's a little blood boiling between these two teams as well, Jerry. Yeah. I mean, Hunter Dickinson's like gesturing to the crowd after making shots at Rutgers a couple of weeks ago. We won't say what he was gesturing toward. You can use your uh, imagination. Yeah. Look, yes. There's some. There's definitely, and Rutgers are pretty. They're pretty. Uh, they have their act together. There's not a lot of. There's not a lot of hothead or disciplinary issues with Rutgers, but they're gonna. Yes, they will. Michigan will have their attention. It will be an emotional game on that court, no question. So, uh, but that's that's March. This is what you get. You know. This is the kind of matchup you want, and there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game at noon on Thursday. Yeah, and and it, and it might be the first one to sixty the way Rutgers is playing defense and and offense, and and maybe maybe in a one game situation, you know, Rutgers hits some shots. If they lose, Jerry, is there any chance they get an at large bid? I guess there's a chance because they have six six quad one wins, but it's a they're, they're probably on the outside looking in. I think they're so, probably playing the NIT. So okay. Uh, who's your prediction to win it all in the Big Ten? Uh, you know, I, I haven't mapped that out yet, but I'll, so I'm going to give it to you. You'll be the first to have it. All right, here it uh, is. Breaking news. I'm going to, I don't, I just don't think, I'm uncertain about Purdue. I'm, uh, you know, I know they have the best player. Matt Painter's a great coach. They'll have a ton of fans there. I just have a feeling that we're going to see Mr. March, Tom Izzo, <laughs> and Michigan State put it together. They've been through a lot of drama, a lot of trauma. Trauma is the right word. After what went on on their campus, um, there's talent there. There's toughness. They have the best coach. I'm going to go with the surprise Michigan State run, and Mr. March cuts down the nets in Chicago Sunday. Somehow I had a feeling you'd say that, Jerry. <laughs> uh, they are the four seed, so it's possible that – Michigan State would meet Purdue in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. Uh, I have a couple of friends who are Purdue friends, and they swear up and down that Matt Painter, you know, never wins the big one. So I'm, I'm sure they're thinking the same thing, that somehow, you know, Purdue will lose this tournament and and give it up to someone else. So I could find some Purdue fans at a bar, Jerry, that, that probably share your same sentiments. <laughs> All right, Jerry, before I let you go, and and you've been fantastic, man. I love talking college hoops with you. One more story that has taken headlines here, albeit small headlines, but they are headlines. There's a there's a Division One job opening in New Jersey. Uh, NJIT and Brian Kennedy have parted ways. NJIT really struggled over the last few years. He had success early on, 7-23 and 23 this season, four straight losing seasons. How do you see NJIT possibly filling that vacancy. So to me, the number one thing NJIT has to do is get someone local, right? It's a it's a job that has some interesting, unusual situation. I mean, NJIT is in Newark. Uh, it's a very high academic school. And, you know, it's a fairly new member in a league in the America East, which is a good fit. NJIT is a good fit in that league because it's a like-minded academic schools. It's regional. Uh they do have a tremendous facility. The WEC is really nice, 3,500-seat arena. It's that was gorgeous. Six years ago. So they do have some things going for them. and But I think you got to have someone who knows the lay of the land. You know, so that's – you don't want – they should not bring in someone from another part of the country. It's got to be someone, a northeastern guy, and I think preferably a metropolitan area guy. Um, there are a lot of good candidates, people who could fit that bill. We, you know some of them really well. 
Uh, Brandon Knight at Rutgers, would he leave? He'd have to take a pay cut. Mm-hmm. Certainly ready to run his own shop. He's from Essex County. Uh, Grant Billmeyer, you know, Seton Hall guy, uh, played down, played, played high school ball down the road at St. Pat's. He grew up, spent a lot of, you know, he's from Pennington and Mercer County, but spent a lot of time in that area, has great contacts in New Jersey, terrific player development guy. Right now at Maryland, right-hand man, one of the right-hand men too, Kevin Willard, uh, Rhett McConnell, uh, Princeton's associate head coach, Rutgers man, uh, lifelong Jersey guy, has recruited Jersey really well for Princeton and understands what it's like to recruit to a high rigor academic institution, which is very important at NJIT. So those are some guys that come to mind with local ties. Uh, none of them have been head coaches, but I think all three are ready to run their own shop. I'm sure there's some other people, but NJIT should really stay local with this hire. And it's not a bad job. Like there are some some tools there where you could win. No question about it, Jerry. Uh, excellent insight. I really hope it goes to one of those guys or somebody with local ties, because then obviously, uh, you know, you you try to get the student athlete right here in New Jersey in the New York metropolitan area. There's more than enough players here, right. as you know, to build your program around. So, Jerry. Can't wait, brother. Listen, I know you're wired up on on just caffeine. Oh yeah, college basketball is is your buzz, Jerry. So there, and there's nobody that I look to more this time of year and throughout the college basketball season when it comes to New Jersey college basketball than you. So, uh, can't wait to read your articles and can't wait to see you out there, Jerry. Enjoy. Thanks for having me on, Dino, and enjoy the madness because we're that's what it's all about in March. All right, always good talking college basketball with my good friend, Jerry Carino. Nobody does a better job of covering New Jersey college hoops than Jerry. Nobody. Awesome job as always. One thing we forgot to mention, and this just happened as Jerry and I were conducting that interview. Congratulations to Caleb McConnell, who was named the defensive player of the year in the big 10 for the second straight year. I mean, what a warrior. This guy's playing with a hip issue, a back issue, and he is out there getting treatment 24-7 practically, uh, willing himself out there on the court, doing anything he can to help his team win. He just oozes with hustle, oozes with effort. And, you know, Rutgers fans, you are really, really, I'm sure, going to miss him next year and in future years, all of the intangibles that he brings to the court defensively, his leadership, his guts, his guile, uh, well-deserving once again, the two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. All right, that's going to wrap up the show, everybody. You know, there are games galore, and Rutgers and Seton Hall are fighting for their NCAA tournament lives. Can they catch lightning in a bottle? How about the Ivy League? Can Princeton win two games and get back to the NCAA tournament? Or will Yale once again rule the roost as Ivy League champions as they did last year? Ryder is another team to look out for in the MAC tournament this weekend, but Iona is the big favorite. Rick Patino, can he finally bring Iona? to the NCAA tournament in a one-bid league because, let's face it, he is out of here at the end of the season. 
He's all but, you know, come out publicly and made it clear. Rick Pitino is going to St. John's or Georgetown or Notre Dame. If I were a betting man, I would say St. John's. He doesn't have to move. But you know what I'm you know where I'm going with this. All right. It is his time to finally bring Iona back to the NCAA tournament. Ryder could be a sleeping dog there. So keep your eye on the Mac as well. March Madness is underway. Enjoy the games, everyone. I know you do. And again, give us a follow. Give us a like. Give us a review where you catch the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinabellis. So long.